0: Good morning, church. Jonah chapter 4, 1 to 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow the anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that a great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jacob. Um, Wanted to take
1: just a moment and introduce you to Jacob Hawkins, who's one of our summer youth interns and a student at UNC Charlotte. And great to have you with us this summer, Jacob. Um, it seems like the Lord is doing something great among our students. What, what do you see God doing
0: Well, every day the, we have an event, the students come in, and they just say yes to the Lord each and every time. And it's just amazing to see that they're so eager to learn about the Lord and grow their relationship, and they're so eager to share with others whenever we go out on evangelism. And they just have such fruitful conversations, and they just are willing to say yes and be a vessel for the Lord in whatever plan he wants to do.
1: Well, thank you for your leadership, and would you just join me in praying for Jacob and our students? Yeah, thank the Lord first for what's happening, because this uh, I like this saying yes to God. I like like that. Um, Father, we thank you so much for Jacob. We thank you for our student interns. Lord, we thank you for the young men and women upon whom you are pouring out your Holy Spirit, as you said you would do in your word, our sons and our daughters in the last days. Father, continue this work among them, pour your spirit upon them with gifts and power to take your gospel to this community and to the unreached nations of the world. Thank you for them, bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine upon them, we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Jacob, really appreciate it. And thank you all for being with us this morning, it is so good to have you here at River Oaks. Welcome also to those of you joining us online this morning. We have begun a series called Truth and Love. Our goal is to be people who hold fast to God's truth, as given us in scripture, and to do that with love for all people. And today, I would particularly put emphasis on the word all, all people. Not just people we like, not just people who are like us, but all the people of the world, all people made in the image of God. And today we're going to be looking uh, at the Old Testament book of Jonah, but before we do, just one um, statement from our Vision 2025, which I think is very consistent with this desire to be people who hold fast to God's truth with love for all people. You'll see a slide on the screen with the statement that comes out of our Vision 2025 Our vision by the year 2025 is to be a church that could be described this way. Those who call River Oaks their church home recognize that biblical knowledge should overflow into concern for the spiritual well-being of others and that following Jesus leads to an outreach-focused life. This is what we see happening with so many of our students right now. They're learning early on that following Jesus leads to an outreach-focused life. There's concern for other people. We're not just spiritual sponges getting filled with knowledge, but we take that knowledge and truth and the power of the Holy Spirit entrusted to us, and we, we go and share the gospel with others. And I'm excited to see that that is um, happening with our students. <clears throat> Today we're going to talk about holding fast to God's truth, but having love for people who are different from us, perhaps very, very different from us in terms of culture, language, religion, politics. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament book of Jonah. Jonah is considered one of the minor prophets the 12 minor prophets which come at the very end of the old testament in your in your bibles are called minor just because they're shorter in length not because they're of any less importance the book of jonah is particularly short there're only 48 verses in the whole book and Jacob just read 11 of them so i'm going to encourage you this afternoon because we're not going to read the whole book of jonah this afternoon to take 10 15 minutes you could read it in less but to read through the book of jonah because it's Filled with spiritual riches. The book of Jonah is I think a a teaching book designed to teach us and uh, uh, just there's not a lot of background on this prophet Jonah. We are told elsewhere in the Old Testament that he was a prophet in Israel and in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14 there's a verse that tells us that Jonah prophesied about the territory of Israel being significantly expanded. It was a good prophecy for Israel. They're going to get their territory back, and it happened. It was restored. Jonah was a prophet, but as we read the book of Jonah, we would have to say, at least at the time of this particular uh, occurrence, the events of Jonah, he was not a very good prophet, not a very faithful prophet. Um, the book opens with God's word coming to Jonah in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And we read, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. In other words, preach, warn them, judgment's coming, for their evil has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were the worst enemies of Israel. Uh, They were deeply, deeply hated by the Israelites in Jonah's time. Tim Keller uh, has a very good short book called The Prodigal Prophet about the book of Jonah. And in this, Keller writes, Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. Some of the things that the Assyrians did to their captives some of the torture, some of the stuff they did, I would not even share with you in a sermon because it is so gruesome. They were hated by the Israelites. Not only that, but Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, was an awfully long way from Jonah. One commentator suggests it would have been about 500 miles. They were a different culture. They were a hated people. And worst of all, it was a message Jonah didn't want to preach because he knew it might lead the Assyrians to repentance, and he wanted no part of that. So Jonah flees. We read next, Jonah flees. We read in verse 3 of chapter 1, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So now Jonah's going in an opposite direction from Nineveh. Tarshish would have been far in another another, uh, direction. He paid a fare, got on a ship. He didn't like the mission, so he tried to get away from God. And of course, I expect we all know you can't go anywhere from the presence of God. Jonah didn't know what King David wrote in Psalm 139, when he said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Even if I go to the other uttermost parts of the sea, you are there. God sees everything we do. You can't flee from him. You can't hide anything from God. So of course, God, who still cares about Jonah, intervenes. God intervenes, we read in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 4, by hurling a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the sea threatened to break up. Now, chapter 1 goes on to tell us that the mariners, that is the sailors who uh, had their vocation sailing this ship, ships like this, they knew the sea, they were afraid, and each of them began to cry out to his God. They apparently were idol worshipers, they all began calling on their gods, and then they began taking the cargo of the ship and throwing it into the water. There was something very unusual about this particular storm. These sailors had surely seen lots of sorn, but this was a supernatural thing. This was something God had brought about. They were apparently terrified. They're all praying to their gods. They're throwing everything off the ship. And Jonah's down in the belly of the ship asleep. And so the sailors him, awakened him and said, Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. He said, If you got a God, pray to him. And then they cast lots to see why this unusual storm was battering their ship and about to take their life. And the lots fell on Jonah as the guilty one. And they said, tell us who you are, where are you from, who are your people. And this is what Jonah says. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the earth, the sea, who made the sea and the dry land. Now when Jonah uses the word Lord, he uses the name that God gave for his people by which he was to be known by those who knew him, Yahweh, Yahweh, I am that I am. Jonah says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then he told them he was fleeing the presence of the Lord. And then they said, what do we do that the sea will quiet down? And Jonah said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Well, to their credit, they didn't want to do that they tried and tried to row to, to land. They couldn't get to land. And then these sailors who not long earlier had been worshiping idols began to pray to the Lord. And they used the divine name, the name Yahweh. They call out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and heard him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And listen to this. These were the men who'd been worshiping idols not long before. Then the men, that is the sailors, the mariners, feared the Lord. That is Yahweh, the covenant name of God for his people. They feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. He wasn't going to Nineveh, but God was already using this disobedient prophet. All he did was give one word of testimony, I fear the Lord who made the sea. made the land judgment comes and and they're turning to him and then we read the lord appointed a great fish to swallow up jonah and jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights you know when people hear about jonah all they want to talk about is whether he was actually swallowed by a big fish i've never had trouble believing that, that the god who spoke and created all things could appoint a fish that could swallow Jonah for three days, that the God who raised the dead could do this. And it's really just a minor part of the book of Jonah. The real theme of the book of Jonah is is God's mercy. Now, the fish is not unimportant because, as we'll see in a few minutes, Jesus later recounts uh, this as a real historical event. But at this point, Jonah's in the belly of the fish. So what does he do? What would you do if you were in the belly of a fish? Well, you would pray, of course, if you believed in God. And he prayed, and his prayer is really a beautiful prayer. It's most of chapter 2 of this short little book. He prays, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay Salvation belongs to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Well, Jonah's prayer seems beautiful, really, sincere, but as we'll see as this little short book unfolds in the following verses, Jonah still lacks understanding in his heart of hearts about steadfast love. He gets out of his bad circumstance, but his heart has not yet been changed by God's mercy. And so, chapter 3, God's word comes to Jonah again. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. This time he's ready to obey. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. One commentator says, the city wall of Nineveh, of Nineveh was eight miles in circumference. That's a really big city and a big city wall for these ancient times, roughly, probably 700 BC. Jonah begins to go into the city and call out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's a message of judgment. Nineveh is gonna be overthrown in 40 days. We go on to read in this chapter that the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them, and they began crying out to God for mercy. They believed the word that Jonah gave. The king himself uh, removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and ashes and called everybody to pray and says, who knows, God may turn and relent from his fierce anger that we may not perish. In verse 10 of chapter 3 he says, when God saw what they did, these evil people, How they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Well, Jonah's mission was successful. Praise the Lord, right? It was, he he did right. They repented. Well, the very next verse we read that Jonah is displeased. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. It's funny, he went and preached and God did what God wanted to do and Jonah did not like it one bit. And listen to his prayer, it sounds so childish. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah did not want God to relent from disaster, he wanted these people to be destroyed therefore now O oh lord please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live wow finally the lord speaks to jonah simply to correct his bad attitude and the lord said to jonah do you do well to be angry and the implied answer of course is no you're wrong jonah and what we see happening in this little book Is God teaching his disobedient prophet, his disobedient servant, whom he loves, and trying to bring him to a point of understanding more of God's compassionate heart for those who are different from us in many ways? Just to recap it quickly, we can say this. Jonah knew the truth about God. Jonah knew about God's power. When the tempest came onto the ocean, Jonah knew right away that God had sent it. He knew about God's justice and judgment and his holiness. He knew about God's covenant with Israel. He had prophesied about the land of Israel and it had come to pass. He even knew God's word because the verse you see on the screen from verse 2 is a quote from Exodus 34 and verse 6. Where God said to Moses that he is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah had probably known this verse from the time he was a little child. He had probably memorized this verse about God, God's nature. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah doesn't quote the whole verse though. The latter part does say that he won't leave the guilty unpunished. But Jonah knew a lot of truth about God, but the truth about God had not given him God's heart. Jonah lacked love for the Ninevites. We see when God relented of the disaster that was decreed, it had exceedingly displeased Jonah and he was angry. While Jonah knew God was gracious, the grace of God had not transformed his own heart so that he had any grace toward these Jonah, in many ways, was like the Pharisees we studied a couple weeks ago. People who had a lot of knowledge of God's law, of God's truth, yet held others in contempt. Saw themselves as righteous, treated others with contempt, scorned, despised others. That's why they were so often at odds with Jesus. Lots of truth, little love particularly for those of a different culture, different viewpoints, different beliefs, different behaviors. Jonah is a teaching book, I believe, and Jonah's example is a warning to us that we can have much truth about God, even knowing the gospel of his grace, and yet not be changed by it. We can know a lot and still have contempt for people who are different if the Holy Spirit has not taken that truth and applied it deeply to our own hearts. When we truly understand the gospel, it changes us. When we grasp the, the reality of the awesome holiness of God and in light of that, the real depth of our own sin before God, and then we grasp the reality of what Jesus, God the Son, did in leaving heaven to come to this earth and die upon a cross and shed his blood to pay for our sins so that we might be forgiven and brought eternally into relationship with God. When we grasp that in our heart of hearts, we'll be changed. And the grace of God, truly understood and embraced, enables us to love people who've not been the beneficiaries of that grace yet, to love others as he does. God is teaching Jonah in this book and I think he's teaching us. Finally, we see in the fourth chapter as uh, Jacob read for us earlier, that God rebuked Jonah for his lack of mercy and compassion toward the Ninevites and it's a very unusual ending to this um, short little book what happens at the beginning of chapter four is Jonah's in his anger and he leaves the city of Nineveh. He makes him, tries to make a little booth outside and he sits on a hill to watch. He watches what happens as the Ninevites repent, watches to see if uh, hopefully any judgment will, will still come. And as Jonah's there, it's exceedingly hot. And so God, the Bible says, appoints a plant God appoints a plant, a huge shade plant, to cover Jonah. And um, Jonah's happy because that plant's helping him to cool off a little bit. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. It really sounds childish, doesn't it? And then we get to the end of the book. We read these words, the last two verses of Jonah. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? What is God doing here? First of all, the, the thing we should note is God's complete orchestration of the circumstances of this book. God appointed this great violent storm when Jonah was trying to flee his presence. He appointed a... Fish that swallowed Jonah, and now he appoints a plant, and he appoints even a worm, and he appoints a scorching east wind. God's using all these circumstances to teach this disobedient prophet whom he loves and whom he has called. Now, when God says, Jonah, you you care about a plant, shouldn't I care about people? Nineveh is a city in which there are 120,000 people who do not know the right hand from their left. I think that's a figure of speech for children. In, in the city of Nineveh, there's 120,000 who don't even know the right from left hand. They're so little and young they don't even know which hand is which head. The implication is there are probably five, 600,000 people in the city. There are that many children. And animals. God cares about animals too. And then that's the end of the book. It seems like an abrupt ending to a book of the Bible, doesn't it? That it would just end like that. And it leaves us wondering, did Jonah learn anything? Did he learn his lesson? Or did he just end everything discouraged like that? I think we have good reason to be hopeful that Jonah not only learned his lesson, but that he he really was changed by this. And I'll echo what Tim Keller says in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, about Jonah. Somebody, somebody had to write the book, the book of Jonah. Somebody had to recount the story. And pretty much the whole book, for the most part, it's discussion between God and Jonah, the long prayer in chapter 2 and all these conversations. How do we get that? Well, Jonah either transmitted it orally to someone or wrote it himself, but it seems to me... It's for someone to be so honest about his own mistakes and foolishness and disobedience, he must have changed to some degree. And I think it's very likely that he was changed. I'd like to bring us to two personal application questions as we reflect on this short book. And again, I really do recommend that you go home and take 10, 15 minutes and read these 48 verses and reflect on how God was teaching this prophet and how he wants to teach us through it. Number one, have I responded to God's mercy for me by embracing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jonah actually points us to the gospel. While his story is warning us about hard-hearted contempt for people who are different from us, it also points us to Jesus. Jonah was actually a a sign. Jesus said that. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was talking with some scribes and Pharisees. We read in Matthew 12, 38, and some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What does that mean? Jesus was calling the scribes and Pharisees to faith in something, rather someone, much greater than Jonah. Jesus, the son of God, who came to die for the sins of all people, who would repent and turn from sin and embrace his gift of salvation. So the most important question this morning I could ask is, have you done that? Have you embraced the steadfast love of God in the gospel of Jesus? Secondly, secondly, has the mercy that I've received in the gospel of Jesus caused me to have compassion for people who are different from me? The Bible teaches that when we embrace Jesus, we embrace the message of the gospel. He's, He's our Savior. He's our Lord. We become part of this great spiritual body, one body, one body of Christ, made up of people of all times, of every tongue, tribe, nation. And we read about this in the book of Revelation when John the Apostle writes, after this I looked, behold, a great multitude no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb every tongue tribe and nation this is why we're an outreach focused church a great commission church a world missions church we want to be part of this call of jesus to take his message to every tribe tongue nation would you join me as we pray father I pray that the the Holy Spirit would take your word and the truth of the gospel and apply it to our hearts. Lord, I pray for a knowledge, a true knowledge of salvation for everyone who's part of our service today or watching it online, that each one would know the reality of having repented of sin and embraced the saving work of Jesus on his or her behalf. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, if we are in any way looking with contempt on people of other races, cultures, religions, forgive us. If we've thought any people in this world were undeserving of hearing your gospel, Lord, forgive us. Give us your compassion, we ask, Lord. Make us people who faithfully follow you And hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray in Jesus' name.